When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Girl, he reads from these journals he kept when he was a principal. Uncut and uncensored. Putting all his business in the street. The podcast, Ruthless Equity. The name, Ken Williams. Our fourth week is off to a strong start. I got to work early, and it makes a difference. We had a great town meeting. One of the things I commented on is that I would no longer be surprised by good behavior in a positive environment. I'm now adopting the mindset that this is the way it's supposed to be. On another note, I had a very interesting conversation with Mrs. White. While there are many positive qualities with her, her method of discipline and control leave much to be desired. She uses what she calls uh, tough love. I interpret it as using public humiliation and shame to motivate her students. She is working with a particularly challenging student who talks back, strikes out when cornered, and can be disrespectful. She has already had a huge run-in with parents because she calls them over and over and over and over again with concerns. In my several experiences with her and the student, it seemed to be a battle of wills. She used public displays of humiliation and public reprimand as a strategy. Ricky responded with disrespect and strong, stubborn will as well. I talked with Mrs. White, trying to appeal to have her connect and commit to a kind of leadership as opposed to a command and control type of leadership. I recounted an incident in our cafeteria where she stormed in and informed me loudly about his behavior. She was pacing quickly, brandishing her phone, berating him and threatening to call his mother over and over in front of a cafeteria full of other students. She insisted he was not embarrassed and I know damn well he was. Hey, listen, I have revamped my professional development offerings. You can find them at unfoldthesoul.com. Touch the speaking tab. I've got 
two new offerings. The first is the three-hour virtual PD experience with me. And then the second is the in-person PD experience. Notice I don't call these presentations or workshops because I don't know. No, but I do know. I've gotten to a point in my career. One, my confidence is at an all-time high. I know equity like no one else. I know how to make it practical, tangible, meaningful. I know I could turn those states around who have foolishly banned equity from uh, any of their policies. I can help districts that have policies around equity, but they're spinning in circles, having conversations that don't lead to any kind of improvement in student learning. I can move your district from PLC light to PLC right because I explain PLCs like no one else. I simplify it. It's authentic. I can take all those moving parts that are swirling around you, all the moving parts and make them make sense. If you are interested in advancing your mission of learning for all, advancing your mission of equity, excellence, and achievement for all students, regardless of background. If you're a fan of ruthless equity and um, want to move your staff or district forward with it, get at a brother now. Go to my site, go to my page, unfoldthesoul.com. It reminds me of, it reminds me of that book I read. It's called, uh, uh, reminds me of of nothing, nothing. And I got 950,000, 1100 books behind me right now on this shelf. And some of them are great, but none of them are like Ruthless Equity. Ruthless Equity is a book like no other, explains equity like no other, speaks to you like no other, the coach on your shoulder, the guide on your side to move you from rhetoric to results regarding your journey with equity. Pick up a copy of Ruthless Equity at Amazon.com. If you are a fan, you've read it, take a minute, please, and leave a review on Amazon.com. Now, back to the podcast. All right, baby, let's get into it. I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious because I wanted to start by saying I'm writing about some of this shit I'm about to talk about. But then one of my principals I'm working with and I mentor, Bridget, reminds me that every time I mention that I'm writing a book, her next thought is, when is the damn book coming out? So I realize that I'm teasing you every week. But this is how I manifest things. It's just, it just, this is how it happens. This is part of the birthing process. All due respect to women because when I say birthing, I mean that as a euphemism. I don't dare try to simulate writing a book to having a baby because I was in the room when both our kids were born and I'm going to tell you right now I am stronger brute force physically than my wife but she is the stronger person when I watch what happened listen and she wanted to do it all natural even though my insurance covered that epidural and I mean it was name brand epidural Right? It wasn't no frills, baby. She refused it. I couldn't believe it. I, fought, I saw the first stage of that labor of our now 25-year-old son. And when I saw that first push and what happens with the body, I pulled my pants down and asked the doctor for the epidural at that point. Let's get into this episode, baby. Lots to uncover. 
let's take the first part where I mentioned uh, getting to work early and then commenting, commenting, not thinking, but commenting that I would no longer be surprised by good behavior in a positive environment. I'm now adopting the mindset that this is the way it's supposed to be. It is the more I'm working on this new content around visionary leadership, the more we got to get back to declaring. We got to get back to declaring and that's the job of the visionary leader. And I'm proud of myself for doing that. It'd be one thing to think it. And if I walked away from that town meeting saying to myself, you know what, from now on, I'm going to look, I'm going to look for positive behaviors. That's awesome. But the fact that I communicated that to both staff and students, you, you know what that does? It does what John Maxwell calls giving others a reputation to uphold. I've built a career on it. I've built a business on it. I coach people through this lens. Ultimately, there's this moment where you see more in people than they see in themselves. But one thing I pride myself on with my leadership is I'm never going to bullshit you. I'm never going to bullshit you or blow sunshine off your ass for no reason. Of course, I wanted, you know, a positive environment and great behaviors. But we were deprogramming a lot of bad shit that was going on at our school. So for me to come in and, you know, I got a video that that says uh, self-esteem is not a cologne. You just can't damn just graft it on to people. I talked about what our expectations were and what our standards are. But we hadn't, we hadn't really turned the corner consistently. We had good days, but we hadn't been real consistent. And so for me to tell them that they're awesome and great behaviors and everything's great, that'd be, that'd be bullshit. And we got too much of that going on already. So what I did was I talked about our standard, you know, what we're about. And I keep my eyes peeled for opportunities to recognize it, celebrate it, and reinforce it. And I'm guessing that at this point, we'd had a few good town meetings in a row, which was a big deal. And it was time to recognize it. And the thing is, it's one thing to to give others a reputation to uphold. But what has to come after that is evidence that it's happening. People need wins. So when I pointed out their behaviors and pointed out how they've contributed to a, a positive environment, it then deepens their belief that they can do it. You know? That's so why I tell principals all the time. You keep telling your teachers they're awesome and they're amazing and they're amazing. It was like, but, but, but how are you how are you communicating that teachers are valuable? And let me tell you how, how it happens at most schools. Activity. They meet, they look at data, they meet, they talk about their kids. That's all bullshit. That's all bullshit. If I asked you, if you were a football coach and I said, how do you, how do you communicate that your running back is valuable? I mean, you can tell him he's an awesome guy, but you know what you're going to end up telling me in the end? We're going to pull out the stats and we're going to look at how many yards per carry, you know, how he picks up the block, you know, when there's a blitz, how many yards after uh, he's been, he, uh, you know, the defenders have made contact. You're looking at metrics. This is one of the reasons why teachers and no fault of their own. This is because of our systems. I call it the politics of pity. 
bathe in victimhood all day long. This is why, and you see the title of the of the podcast, you know, Behaviors, Educations, Black Mold. This is why we wonder, like, why do teachers want to hand kids off as soon as they are struggling academically? Or why are there some instances where we don't feel like teachers own all the kids? Or why do we start with the brokenness of kids instead of the strength of staff. That's all the politics of pity. This is all the shit because our system send messages to teachers that they don't matter. And I'm a, you want to ask me how? Here's how. When I, when I do these phone calls and say, tell me about your school and 99% of the time you lead with demographics, you lead with demographics. Like you want the narrative of your school to be defined by the demographics that's like asking, hey, how's the Chick-fil-A doing in your area? Well, they got 47% Latinos coming in there. Then they got a whole contingent of poor whites from the trailer park. They're in there too. That sounds ridiculous. But that's exactly how we describe schools. And as a result, an ancillary, an ancillary result of us spending the last two decades describing schools in terms of demographics it sends the message to teachers that they are not the most important factors. So stop expecting them to step up and be all about learning for all. And because we've communicated to them that they're not, not the most important factors, we've then made them victims where now we're fucking afraid to ask teachers for anything. I got principals folding their tails up between their legs, afraid to ask teachers to take on this new uh, protocol I don't want to put anything else on their place. So, oh, right. Well, what evidence do you have that they're fucked? I'm sorry. But, like, what evidence do you have that, that, that all the ways this all is overwhelmed? But the fact that they're saying it, this is crazy. Anyway, let's get back to the podcast. I'm about to go off on a tangent. My point is this our demographics weren't going to be our narrative on any day of the week. If you ever heard me rattle off our demographics, it's because I'm half bragging to your ass. I'm telling you, here's who we are and we kicking ass. I've never, ever used demographics to describe my classroom, my class, my school, ever. Ever. Because demographics don't mean a damn thing. What matters is me and my team. And when I became a principal, it's about our staff. But no one ever talks about that. All we talk about is the kids, where they're from, and all their ailments and fucking trauma and all that bullshit that we lead with. Anyway, I like that I not only noticed a new trend in behavior, but that I was willing to speak it into staff and speak it into kids. And you know what? You walk a little taller. I heard, uh, I was listening to Pat McAfee's. Dude's a stud. Gotta love McAfee. Uh, listening to his his uh, internet show and he had Chip Kelly, the head coach of the UCLA Bruins and one of the things he said and I'm paraphrasing, but I wrote it down was you know, when leaders when leaders establish standards people strive to meet them when leaders establish rules, people are out to break them it's a small semantics thing, but it just means something different. I was talking with another principal that I'm mentoring. Oh, 
Karen, if you're listening, just I'm mentoring you. I, mean, I didn't tell her that, but she may listen to this episode. She's a dog, though. She's a dog, boy. You talk about a visionary leader, man. I mean, she's young in the game, too. She's a dog. She gets it. And one of the things we talked about was accountability. And she and I agree that, you know what? I Like, I, I, I was watching a game the other night. Well, I was listening to the same podcast, and they were talking about Patrick Mahomes and how the perception is that he wants to be coached and coached hard, like wants to get better, you know. And uh, Christian McCaffrey in San Francisco has been touted the same way. It's like, don't tell me what I did. I want to know how I can get better. And, you know, Karen and I both agree that, you know, this, like, we want accountability. I want to know if I'm – if what I'm doing is impactful. But you know what I found? Accountability is almost like rules, Right accountability feels like this somebody's got their thumb on you here's what i found this is what i discussed with her once we established mission and we were on this mission and we were clear about the mission and every stakeholder group in our school had a handful of responsibilities that they had to fulfill for us to achieve our mission everything changed and instead of using the word accountability, 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 I use the word responsibility. This is your responsibility. It just feels different. It just feels different. But the bottom line is, if you can't talk about accountability and responsibility and then not follow up and then not have a way to know whether it's happening or not. So again, we're back to the politics of pity where we talk a good game, but we don't really follow up. One of the things I'm writing in this book is this, Pity pretends, power promises. Pity pretends. And we got a lot of well-intentioned people who believe they're about learning for all and learn and all about equity. But as soon as they start talking, they talk a good game, but then they then then, then they come up with the excuse. So often it's, oh, as a teacher, this sounds really good, Ken, but if our principal was on board, it'd be better. And then I'll go to a place where the principal's on board, and then it's uh, you know, Ken, this sounds really good, but if our superintendent was on board, it'd be better. And then I go to a place where the superintendent's on board as well. Then it's, you know what? Our state department sucks. You can always find an excuse for why shit can't happen. That's pretending. What do you want? All rolled out on red carpet? Just like on a platter with snacks and uh, someone to do a manicure and pedicure with you? We're talking about transformational change. It requires breakthrough leadership. Stop making excuses I shouldn't have done the podcast tonight because I'm frustrated because I'm thinking about this book and this is how I birth things uh, in a chaotic fashion anyway I'm really proud of myself for recognizing that and then making it public making it public now let's get to the teacher lord have mercy this is the one this is at Evernorth Health Services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Lord, have mercy, man. And listen, I'm going to tell you up front. I am guilty. And I haven't even broken down the politics of pity yet, which I'm going to do, you know, throughout 
podcast moving forward and definitely in this book that I'm writing. But here's, here's what I know about the politics of pity. We are all programmed to an extent. You've been in the system long enough, you are programmed to an extent. Some of us, a whole lot more programmed than others. Most educators are tons more programmed than I am. But I still, I still suffer with the pro- I still, I do. Here's an example. Here's an example. I write in this entry, and I almost, almost like threw up in my mouth that there's a lot of great qualities about this teacher, but the way she handled behavior. So let me break it down for you. You know, this is my podcast. I can do whatever the hell I want. First of all, I acquired this teacher through a principal who, after my first year, passed the trash. But I take responsibility for not vetting as much as I needed to. But this principal talked this woman up. And I was, I'm was i young in the game. I should have realized, why would a principal talk someone up and send their ass across town to your school? Anyway... The teacher was strong um, in terms of pedagogy. I mean, she knows instruction. What she sucked at was management. And I literally remember like her Razor flip phone. <laughs> this is 2006. I go by her class and man, she'd be in the front calling parents in front of the whole class. Like no management, none, none. And then walking up in the cafeteria to me and nagging the shit out of parents over and over again. And I knew a part of it was that, you know, she should have, she should have, she should be more capable in terms of classroom management. But I am guilty of what our whole profession is ridiculously guilty of right now. And that is what I call education's black mold. I will do PD. And let me tell you something. When I lay that professional learning down, baby, ain't nowhere to run. My shit is like Judge Judy, baby. You trapped. There's nowhere to run because my shit is tight. I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you that. It's my problem. I'm telling you that. I know I should tell humble and say, you know what? I just, my shit is tight. And here's what happens inevitably. It happened last week. I was at a, all middle school teachers. And this middle school teacher stood up at the end and was like, one of the best professional learning experiences I've had. I'm a veteran. I didn't want to be here today. The whole nine. But what about behaviors, Ken? Do behaviors have a crown? And here we go. And here we go. Now, I want you to understand the overarching point that I'm trying to make. I'm not trying to make a case where there's no such thing as, as, you know, kids with, you know, poor behaviors or poor choices. What, I'm gonna, what I want to make a case for is that, one, we have personified the word behaviors as if they are a species of people, like a, <laughs> a newly discovered race or culture of people. We don't, even, we don't even talk about the behavior. We just say, what about behaviors? When we say it that way as educators, we are saying it as if the behaviors are some black mold that's been reported to the district that no one's come and taken care of. Like there's a small hole in the roof, in the ceiling of your classroom 
where there's a slow leak now. You've reported it and it's not been taken care of. We talk about behaviors as if it's something that happens to you, as if it should not be a part of when you have a uh, a captive audience of students for six hours, that behaviors shouldn't be a part of your preparation as a teacher. We have completely separated it. That's victimhood. Teachers talk about behaviors as if it's something that happens to them. Like this, this inconvenient, like the sewage is backed up. It's crazy. You have a captive audience for whatever it is, an hour, two hours, if you're self-contained all day. And we have found a way to separate how students behave in a space where you have their attention and you are in charge of that space. We have completely separated that as if it's something that's happened, an inconvenience, something happening to them. That's insane. That's victimhood. Everything is connected. My friend Doug Reeves says, uh, via Peter Senge, if you want to, if you want to improve behaviors, lower the failure rate. If you want to improve motivation in students, lower the failure rate. If you want to improve engagement, lower the failure rate. It's all connected. And in this classroom, where the first line of action of this teacher is to pull out her phone and call somebody's mama or grandmama in front of the, the class, that's public humiliation. That's that's insane. But we were that school with those students from that background and her ineptitude sometimes got overshadowed and I take responsibility for that because my kids, you know what, they're raising the streets and they had an edge. But in these instances, they're no different than anybody else. You corner somebody and humiliate the shit out of them. I don't care where they're from. They could be from the suburbs or from the hood. Folk don't like that. But somehow... In this teacher's mind, because she understood fifth grade math really well, that none of her responsibility was to figure out how to build relationships, connect with students, have kind of classroom management culture, you know, establish standards, none of that, none, none. And I find that is a lot of what I hear happening out here. Behaviors. Can you picture me after four hours of professional learning with your staff bitching about behaviors? It's unbelievable. So I'm telling you what my quick answer is. My first quick answer is, yes, there's a crown for behaviors. There's also a crown for engagement. No student shows up to a place 180 days a year to be miserable. We talk about behaviors as teachers as if Anyone or anything that challenges the way this PowerPoint is laid out, anything that interrupts my flow, like my job is to teach, not to engage kids. It's all bullshit. It's all victimhood. It is all victimhood. And it's the worst. It's the worst. And so this is just scratching the surface on the politics of pity. The politics of pity. Everything is connected. 
How is it that we have found a way as educators to completely separate student behavior from instruction? It's unbelievable, but we've done it. And when we talk about it, we talk about it as victims. Like, well, this sounds good. I'd like to implement that. But Rashid, what do I do about behaviors? Well, shit, isn't it your job? I asked one teacher, what about what you just described to me is not your job? (laughs) What is this? What is this? And this is why I'm writing this book. We got to turn these systems around. I'm looking for leaders who are done interacting with teachers with kid gloves, done treating teachers like the low group. It is so unprofessional. It's such an insult to teachers to treat them like the low group, to not expect them to have as much uh, classroom management savvy as they do expertise in in their uh, content areas. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. And this teacher thought that this was the way to do it. And I know what that was about. You know, we were in the hood and you can get away with shit. You can get away with shit. So she's pulling out her phone and blowing the kid up in the cafeteria. It was just crazy. And yes, her ass was on a raft by the end of that school year. Yes, a raft. (laughs) What else do I have here? What else do I have here? Leadership is a lot about what you're looking for. And I was happy that we strung together a few weeks of really positive behavior in town meeting because that gave me license to talk about it with authority. That gave me the metrics to show them, to show our students what they are capable of. And that's huge. And I love that I didn't turn my mindset to. Now I am looking for, I am expecting this. You got to speak it into them. Leaders have been so neutered by the politics of pity. They're so victimized by the politics of pity. They don't even know how to look for improvement. We're too busy validating our narrative at every turn. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I I think that's it, man. I think that's it. I think that's all I got this week. You know, I don't do a whole outline for this thing. I, I don't. What I want you to think about is this. Everything is connected. I'm challenging teachers and leaders every day now with this whole behaviors thing as if it's somebody else's job to make sure you got a classroom environment that is inclusive and welcoming and open to feedback and 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 most importantly our job is to ensure learning and that doesn't mean we ensure learning for the kids we like or who line up with our notion of uh you know what kids are supposed to be when they walk into our classrooms Stop with that victimhood shit, that pity shit. I'm telling you, I'm working on something. Bridget, don't yell at me. I'm working on something, man. I'm tired of being pitied. I'm tired of starting. I mean, I'm I'm looking for leaders who are ready to start with staff strengths and not student struggles. How to move the culture from the politics of pity to the promise of power. 
I'm looking for leaders who are tired of feeling handcuffed, who are tired of feeling weird at leadership meetings. Tired of feeling weird when your district is handing you uh, pitiful ass purple hearts to hand out to teachers and you're thinking to yourself, man, we better than this. Why you got me damn putting huggies and shit on these teachers? They're not babies. Stop infantilizing teachers. For I'm looking for leaders who are tired of that. I'm, I'm looking for leaders who are tired of the narrative of their school being broken down by race. How do you expect your teachers to give their all when they look up and every got at every turn when asked about their school all the details are about everything except them. We're 27% free reduced lunch, 95% poverty, 47% poor white folks, 20% Latino, 13% black, 14% title one, 37% got corns, 22% got eczema, all that shit. And then you want teachers to be all in? You crazy. No, no, I'm crazy because I knew better. And I made that shit work because we closed ranks and I was like, ignore that shit you hear. Ignore it. Because at this school, baby, we built different. Those are the three words I use. We built different. I think I'm going to get into that next week, man. Until next time, share this podcast with someone else, please, so we can get our listenership up. I want you to remember to start with the crown, not with the kid. Get your copy of Ruthless Equity. What you waiting for? You need to stop playing. Get your copy of Ruthless Equity. Start with the crown, not with the kid, and may the bridges I burn light the way. You've been listening to the Ruthless Equity School Leadership Podcast with Ken Williams. For more information about Ken, visit RuthlessEquity.com.